Welcome to Thriving with Mental Illness, a podcast with real talk, an open and honest conversation about issues surrounding mental health. There are no topics that are off limits and no questions that aren't okay to ask. I'm Mikkel Buck, author, public speaker, and suicide survivor who's lived with mental illness for over 20 years. And with me is my guy, Adam. Hey guys, welcome back. We're here with a very exciting episode with a brand new guest, Kelsey Williams. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we're so excited to have you on. So you are a listener that reached out with some questions a couple seasons ago, and then we've kind of had some messages and interactions since then, and we invited you to be on. Yes. Yeah. I'm super grateful for your responses and for the podcast that you put out and also your book. I'm a fan of all of it. I'm a major fan girl. So <laughs> I'm <super> excited to <laughs> be here. Adorable. It's so cute that I have a fan girl. That makes me so happy. Yeah, that's me. <laughs> well, one of the reasons we wanted to have you on is because some of the things that you're going through in your life stage is pregnancy and dealing with a young family and babies around mental illness, correct? Correct. Yeah. So do you want to share maybe your diagnosis and kind of what your experience has looked like for you so far on this? For sure. Yeah. I was diagnosed bipolar, bipolar two, and I guess my whole teenage years, I had depression and anxiety. And then after getting pregnant with my second I was diagnosed bipolar. I probably should have been diagnosed bipolar sooner, but it's a learning process. So since then have been working closely with a psychiatrist and, and have kind of messed around with my meds and kind of found a level that I'm happy at now. So let me ask you about high school. Is that really when things started getting hard or the depression or the anxiety surfaced? Yeah. Depression was huge in my high school years. I always, looking back, I always had anxiety about things and was managing it okay. I just took on a lot and did a lot and loved high school, but then the depression hit and it was hard to get out of bed. It was hard to do the things that I loved. And eventually my senior year, I guess I mentioned to my mom, I was saying, you know, it's just, I'm really emotional all the time. I have to get out of class to go to use the bathroom. And instead of, I'm just melting down crying. And I just do that multiple times a day. And she's like, okay, something's wrong. That's not normal. And she, she took me in and, and I was diagnosed with depression and anxiety. So did you start on medication and counseling at that point? Yes. Yeah. I, I had a counselor that I loved she was amazing. And I started medication and really did not want to start medication. Like everyone else in the world didn't want to be on medication the rest of my life, but I went to counseling first. I tried the counseling route and she's like, we can only get you so far without medication. If you really want to increase your life or achieve things in your life, then you need to start medication and counseling. You have to do them together. So then after that little pep talk, then we were like, okay, fine. And did you, did something work for you right away? Yeah, right away. I was put on sertraline and got to experience emotions again. And I wasn't so 
depressed. I wasn't so anxious and things were moving along really good for me throughout my college years. I, I fell back again. I, I had a lot going on in college and really started struggling to, to get out of bed. And, and I think at that point I should have been diagnosed bipolar, but, but I wasn't, I just increased my meds and I wasn't working with a psychiatrist back then. I would just go to my doctor and they would up my meds for me and switch me around. (laughs) So why do you think you should have been diagnosed back then? I mean, did you have mania symptoms? Yes, I would get very animated and extra. And <laughs> Tell me too about much. it. Yeah. <laughs> what <does> it look <laughs> like? Too much. Yeah. <laughs> and it was super fun for everyone around me. We had a really good time, but then I would crash and, and the crash was really ugly. It was just, it wasn't cute at all. And my friend would, I had a really amazing friend in college and and she was my support. She was my cheerleader. She would drag me out of bed and make me go to events. And I didn't want to go to anything, but, but she helped me be strong through it. That's amazing to have that. Is she somebody that you knew before? No, I was in the parking lot at, in my, at my college and eating my lunch alone and <laughs> kind of thinking, why am I here? Why am why am I doing this? And she happened to be, you know, at the, we happened to work together and, and I no longer had to eat in my car alone anymore because she was just an instant best friend. Just one of those people that you can just click with and, and you're, you're set, you're just friends forever. So she's still my friend and, and love her so much. That's amazing to hear. Sometimes it's hard to like when people are newer in our lives, friendships like that, if they haven't seen, if, if they come in during some of the hard parts, they maybe don't understand the full capacity. Like this isn't who I am, this hard part, this is a moment, but mm-hmm. I really am all of this. And it sounds like she already understood and knew how amazing you already were and could see all of you rather than just a hard moment in time. For sure. Yeah. She, this was her first encounter with mental illness. She had never been, well, she had been around people with mental illness before, but she had never understood it herself. So when she could see that who I was, you know, this bubbly, happy person, and then to see me just completely out, just not myself trying to put on that face for everyone else, but for her who was there all the time, she could see, okay, you're, you're suffering from something. Mm -hmm. So she was able to help me and then go on to help one of her cousins out that was struggling too. So It was a really awesome experience for both of us. Oh, that's amazing. I love that. Good job, cheerleader. Good job, friend. What's her name? Larissa. Good job, Larissa. We love you. (laughs) She'll love that shout out. (laughs) (laughs) So so it was high high school. You graduated. No problems. No issues with classes. Oh, yeah. I'm a perfectionist. I, I just, I have to do... And I'm a traditionalist, I guess I have to do it the right way and I have to do it perfectly. And so I did, (laughs) and it was very difficult. I, I was very involved in high school and was a cheerleader and, and just did all the events, every single thing. And it started to get to the point where I was just exhausted and couldn't figure out why, because nobody else was, everybody else was just moving and grooving. Why was I so tired? So I just, had to 
had to keep going. And I wish I knew about self-care back then, like I do now. Yeah. I think that that's a really common thing that we hear and something that I've seen in myself and also people around me with bipolar diagnosis is there's a lot of high achievement perfectionism tendencies and it makes it difficult to diagnose because in your own mind, you're kind of like, oh no, this is me at my best self. This is what I should be all the time. Instead of people looking in going, okay, you're extra. Nobody else is even that level. Like you think that that's normal and it's not normal. I'm telling you right now, that's not normal. Yep. I know exactly. (laughs) So what did that look like in college then? Were you able to maintain school classes, grades, all those things? Yes. I was able to maintain my grades because I could, I could choose how many classes I wanted to take. And and what days, what times, if I scheduled a morning class, I would, I would instantly drop that class and switch it to another time because mornings were my hardest. I would also stay out super late and, and just hanging out with friends and stuff like that. So a late night meant I needed to sleep. I needed to recover. I couldn't just bounce back. So I slept in and did more evening classes. And that kind of was the only way I could survive it. You just have to learn to adjust. And, and back then I didn't really understand that I was adjusting, but it's that survival. You have to survive and you, I don't know, save face in a way (laughs) because I was so perfect, such a perfectionist. I had to be perfect for everyone else. So that is exhausting. And, and so you just kind of have to figure out your, your step and how it's going to work for you. And luckily college can do that because you can choose your classes. It's not as strict as high school in that way. Mm -hmm. Kudos to you for understanding that you had to adjust, even though, like you said, you didn't necessarily know that's what you were doing, but you still did it just intuitively. You knew that you needed that. So right. Well done, Kelsey. (laughs) Well done, college, Kelsey. Yeah. She killed it. (laughs) Not really. (laughs) Well, then talking to people. I think college is hard because nightlife is a real thing. I mean, nobody wants to go to bed early yeah. when you're in college. That is just, but yet it's, it's so necessary sometimes to go to bed early, get plenty of sleep. I mean, it's just the opposite of what college is. Right. Yeah. So, college is not for mental health. <laughs> it is. It is not. And I get in some ways, I'm glad that, it took me a while to get the right diagnosis. I was kind of through a lot of those years and we were already married really before I understood the need to manage my lifestyle so carefully because in college that would have been really difficult to do because I didn't manage my lifestyle in college like that. So, and as our kids have gone on to college, Sam is very strict. He also has a very small social life (laughs) because of it. He's 9.30. He's like, I'm out. I'm going home bed you know that's rough when you're 22 (laughs) but ella has a full social life it's like one or the other consequently she is not was not in bed early she's married now and so now they go to bed early you can have it's like (laughs) that's the that's the point when you can start having your bedtime routine is when you don't stay out and have your big social events and friends and meet people you know and that's interesting that you bring that up because i think my marriage was a saving grace in so many ways, but I, I was hanging out with a guy friends and, and this guy, you know, we became closer and closer and eventually got married. But before we got married, 
I sat him down on a bench swing and said, okay, so you know me as, as the person that I put out there, but you don't know, you know, everything about me. And so here it is. And I laid it all out and was very honest. And I said, I do not expect you to, to propose to me, to marry me. We've talked about it in the past, but now that you have this information, you know, you, you can decide that you don't want to be in this relationship anymore. And I was very clear with him. And I think you have to be, you have to be very honest. And I was, and he said, you know what, that doesn't change anything for me. It makes me love you more. And we ended up getting married and that was my last year of college. And because of him, I was able to, I be, I was a teacher. So I was doing my student teaching and he would wake me up for student teaching. I, I was not ready to wake up that early and he would get me out the door and help me to go to bed on time. And <laughs> because I was, I would work and work and work and he needed to be there to be like common sense and my support. So yeah, yeah because I was married, I was able to graduate, I would say. <laughs> so how long had you been dating before you kind of had the talk? Had the what's what talk. Well, <laughs> yeah. Well, we had a quick engagement, quick dating. Everything was very quick. So it had been about three months before I really told him everything. He had kind of known some things, but before I really let him know how much of a struggle I am, then <laughs> <laughs> I'm aware, but I'm a lot. Okay. Yeah. Just a lot. Yeah. We got a lot of needs that need to be met. So <laughs> So what was his experience? Had he known anyone, any family members, friends that had experienced similar things? Yes. He, he actually had his best friend's brother committed suicide due to mental health. And, and because of that, he was more in tune. His friend also suffered and, and then he had another friend too. So he's also the youngest of his family and has seen their friends and, and his siblings and kind of was able to show empathy at a young age because he was the youngest, I think, and was a good friend to his friends that struggled. And it just kind of prepared him for the train wreck of me. So so all those people were definitely put in his life for a reason so that we could be married. I'm going to say it's not a train wreck. (laughs) You're adorable. (laughs) Because we had a similar conversation And the thing that I can relate to your husband, because, you know, once you get to know somebody, it's like, okay, this is a part of them, but there's more there than this, you know, mental illness. Than this train wreck. Than the hot mess of a train wreck. (laughs) It's a lot. That's the key is because I I think at times, at least Mikkel would feel like that was her entire identity. And it's like, okay, that's not, it's, it's. Well, depending on where you are in the cycle, it feels like it, because if I'm not doing well, there's not anything else going on. I'm just trying to not be the big train wreck is all. There's not anything proactive. They're just like trying not to be that. (laughs) All that's happening. Yeah. I'm super grateful for him. And how long have you guys been married? So we've been married 10 years now. We have three kids and yeah, it's been a lot of ups and downs due to me. He's very, no issues, just relaxed, just happy to be there <laughs> and no drama ever from him. We 
we've learned a lot. We were so young when we got married. I was almost 20 and he was 23. So we were super young and super naive and, and we've learned just so much. (laughs) If you had known some of this now, do you think it would have delayed anything or changed anything or? If I would have known sooner, things would have been a lot better. You know, things would have made a lot, made things a lot easier. I think when you are bipolar, if you're dealing with mental health issues, I don't know. I tend to just hone in on one thing. I just really care about one issue and, and I can't let things go. And it was easier for me once I was medicated to see, okay, I don't, I can let that go. So there, if there's issues in our marriage, it was really hard for me to, to be able to, to just let it go. And there's big fights and little fights and, and the, the little ones, aren't so big when you are, when you're diagnosed and, and medicated properly. So yeah, for sure. If I would have been diagnosed sooner, everything would have been much easier. (laughs) When were you diagnosed then and on the medication that you're on now? So I was diagnosed about three and a half years ago. And after about three weeks of being on a, on a mood stabilizer, I instantly, you know, after that three weeks, I felt so much better. It hurt like emotionally to be diagnosed as something, but it's just like any other thing. It's just like being diabetic or being anything. It's just a part of who I am. And it's not who I am. I am not bipolar. I just happen to have bipolar. And because I do, there's resources and medications out there that can help me just like anything else. Awesome. How old are your kids? You have three. Yes, I have three. I have a six-year-old, a four-year-old and a 10-month-old. So you had your six-year-old and four-year-old before your diagnosis and medications, correct? Correct. Yeah. I was on an antidepressant for both of those pregnancies and nursing. I felt they were C-rated medications and I felt that they were okay to be pregnant and nursing on. Mm -hmm. And so I did that. And didn't really struggle with postpartum depression. I really didn't. I, I remember I had to increase my levels of my antidepressant, but I didn't really struggle with that postpartum blues, you know? So until my second, who's four now, after I had her, it was really difficult. Things were, my mood swings were like crazy. I couldn't I couldn't just regulate myself. I felt like I was just watching myself and, and not being able to control it. It's difficult to talk about that time because I was very suicidal. I, I never attempted, but the thoughts were always there. Like I would tell my husband, like, you know, there's other people out there that are better than me and you deserve better. And in my mind, it was, wouldn't it be easier for everyone if I was gone? And when I got so suicidal telling my counselor, like I, my counselor is telling me you need to hide, you need to have your husband hide all the weapons in your house, all the kitchen knives, everything. And you need to get to a psychiatrist right away. And, and I did. And that diagnosis was bipolar and working with my counselor and psychiatrist, I was able to find the right levels of a mood stabilizer and antidepressants to help me out. Then I decided 
well, I was doing really well. I was feeling my best self that I felt in a while. And, and I thought, why don't we get pregnant again? And Michelle has three, so I can have three. (laughs) Yeah. It's like when you feel really good and you think I'm doing good. I don't need medicine anymore. (laughs) (laughs) No, you still need medicine to make you feel good. But I, my husband and I both, we had two girls and we both knew we needed a boy and that was going to happen because what you want happens, right? We thought if we got pregnant, what would that look like for mental illness? How is that going to affect us? I talked with my psychiatrist and she said my mood stabilizer could be safe throughout my pregnancy. It could, you could try it. And there's not really a lot of data on that, but, but you can go ahead and try it if you'd like. And after a lot of thinking and praying and a lot of praying, I felt like I personally didn't want to subject my child to medication. So I, I ended up up going off of my mood stabilizer completely. So I tapered down safely and got off that medication and kept the levels, my other medications at the the same levels. That was difficult to do difficult to see myself just kind of regressing. It felt like, but during that time, I, I tried my hardest to gracefully say no to things to not take on more than I can handle to be a lovely person, as you would say. (laughs) (laughs) And that meant my life looked a lot different. And it was kind of a crazy time in our lives. We moved from Mesa to Safford and I wasn't near my friends. I, we were also building a house. So things were, it was a lot. So I had to step back in a lot of ways as I was pregnant, but during my pregnancy, I was really blessed. I didn't have a lot of mood swings. I didn't have a lot of down, like down periods. I really was blessed. And I I don't know why. Well, what I tell myself is I had that time in my life of just doing okay, you know, not doing great, but being okay on meds or without meds. I'm sorry that after my pregnancy and in that postpartum time, that's when I was going to (laughs) suffer. but I got the nine months of okay. And, and then a couple weeks of really bad turmoil after having my baby is a boy. Actually, his name is Emmett. He, he came and I said, I I'm going to nurse this baby because I nursed my other two. So I'm going to be nursing and that's meant no medication. So no mood st- stabilizer. If you are nursing in my case and That lasted about six weeks. During those six weeks, I was low functioning. I was not myself. I was very depressed and couldn't remember a time in my life where I had been that depressed. It was a scary time. It was not, it's the hardest time in my life. Sorry. It was very difficult. I decided it was really hard for me to not breastfeed anymore. I had it in my mind of a perfect mom breastfeeds her baby for a year. That's what she does. And for me, I couldn't anymore. I couldn't be who I imagined I would be. I had to take a step back and take care of myself. And that meant no more breastfeeding and get back on a mood stabilizer. And since making that decision, it has been great. And bottle feeding is super great because your husband can do it and you don't have to. <laughs> <I> benefit. <laughs> so, 
I highly recommend. Yeah. Highly recommend that. So having a mental illness looks different than, than other people. It just means you live your life a little differently and, and that's okay. You have to take care of yourself when you, you should always take care of yourself, but you have to cut back on things when you have mental illnesses. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. You talk about, I think everybody gets to the point where it's like, okay, this is the ideal. This is what my expectations of myself or society's expectations or whatever. And I think that's the hardest part is just realizing there's very few like must do. There are, there are not very many hard and fasts that it has to look like this. We think there are. Yeah. And what it comes down to is what's the most important thing to you. And that is my family. So I learned that I can say no to anyone and everything else, but I won't say no to my family. So what that meant was I got a house cleaner and it was the best decision ever. (laughs) (laughs) I was fortunate enough to find someone that comes every two weeks and cleans my bathrooms. And it's been great because a lot of my postpartum was anxieties and my anxiety comes out in a dirty house. I can't function in a dirty house. I just can't do it. So letting somebody come into my house and clean was the thought of that was horrifying. Like I could not imagine somebody else cleaning my house. Like my house has to be perfect if somebody is going to come in. So to see the mess would, it's just not going to work for me. Clean the house before the house cleaner comes. Right. Yeah. I relate to so so much of what you're saying so much. (laughs) So my husband said, you've got to, you've got to find a way, either someone to help with you cleaning or someone to help with you cooking, because all you do is clean and cook and it's constant. And I miss my wife and the kids miss their mom. And I'm like, oh my gosh, that is what I'm doing. I am saying no to my family because my anxieties are too high about other things. So, so I, I got a house cleaner. So now I just cook (laughs) and I clean, you know, the little messes and stuff, but she comes in and will do a deep clean for me. And, and I tell her every time how much I love her and (laughs) she's my new best friend and and I'm so happy she's in my life. So that was one way that I had to cut back and it's been really good. It's so interesting, the different things that cause anxiety. And, And again, kind of referring back to some people will be like, well, that shouldn't. Like, that's cool, but it does for whatever reason for me, it does. But recognizing like, this is something that's important for you. And I'm sure you give up somewhere else. So to have a house cleaner, right? Because everybody doesn't have all of the resources at your fingertips all of the time. Yeah. And I remember having a friend, I can't remember what the issue was, but she was kind of like, oh, wow, it must be nice. I think it was the psychiatrist that we started to go see when I was, when I was getting better. We stopped going to the ones on our insurance with copay. And I ended up picking a really great psychiatrist that was cash pay only. And it was expensive. And she's kind of like, well, that's nice that you have that ability. I'm like, yes, I also drive like a 10 year old car. And, you know, you give up in other areas because you can't you can't have all of the things. And so it's so great that you recognized, okay, a dirty house is not something I can function well in. I need this so I can give up in other things. For this need to be met for me, whatever. Right. right. 
So yeah. what I'm hearing is I also need a house cleaner. Yes, good I point. I hear that. Good I recognize the kids are out of the house. So it's not <laughs> that I'm saying no to them because I'm cleaning. I just don't want to clean. <laughs> is that the same? That's a different thing. <laughs> well, I look at everything as every everything has its time. And right now my time is for my little, little kids. And so that means I need a lot of help. And when they get older, that might look different Mm -hmm. and that's okay. It's all about adjusting to what your circumstances are and, and to be okay with that adjustment, which is very hard when, when you're going through it to see what your needs are and then to, to be able to meet those needs. I know my counselor had said, why don't you look into getting meals delivered to you? Why don't you look into a house cleaner and getting meals delivered in? And where I live, that's not really an option, but getting a house cleaner was. So it was either one. And those were the needs that I needed met. And and luckily we had, you know, the ability to do that. So yeah, I'm very grateful. Yeah. I have a question about when you first had your first child, did the doctors ever express concern? about getting pregnant or were they just like, Hey, great. This will be fine. Yeah. No concerns at all. Okay. Just take more antidepressants. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But since being diagnosed. So after my second, my psychiatrist was absolutely just, no, you cannot get pregnant again. That's going to be really difficult for you. We just got you happy and where you're at and you're at the right levels. To, so that you're functioning, why would you want to throw that away? Why would you want to to risk never getting back to that point? And that was really hard for me to hear because if I'm done having kids, I want to be done. I don't want to be told that you have to be done. My body is working well. You know, it's just my mind. So mind over matter, I can do this. Not, really. <laughs> Not when you are dealing with a mental illness. So. <laughs> So she was very, my psychiatrist was very concerned. She said, you have two girls. That's perfect. That's all you need. And I told her, you know what? I know what I need. And that is that we're going to have another kid. And she said, okay, then I'm going to help you through it. And I didn't have to switch psychiatrists. (laughs) That was going to be my next question is if you did, but I'm glad that she, she's on board. Yeah. My recommendation, but your choice and I'll help you do it safely and navigate Mm -hmm. with you. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I was just going to say, because it's such a personal decision, mm-hmm. you know, the, the family, the how many kids and when to start, when to stop. And yeah. it's going to be different for everybody under every different circumstance. And, you know, I think the good thing is, is you sort of listened to yourself, you know, kind of knew internally, you know, what you wanted or what was right for you. And then you, and you push for it, you know, and didn't let the doctors dictate you know, to you, which Mikel has done that as well, pushes back on doctors. So, you know, <laughs> they are smart, but it's your life. And yeah. well, I need to. think you just realize like nobody's more invested than you are. And when you start to get some years behind you with it, understanding what has worked and what maybe has not worked, that might be like good advice for a lot of other people that deal with mental illness or that have been diagnosed with bipolar. Like some of those things don't work for me, even though it's, you know, good general advice from the doctors, it's so specific. 
and you saying, I understand that we're constantly just going to need to be adjusting and, and understanding what works for you and listening to that, like kudos. Yeah. I think the smart thing is that you continue to work with a doctor. You know, I think it would be very risky to just say, you know what, I'll go back to my psychiatrist later and just wing it, you know? So as much as I saw the OB in my pregnancy, I saw my psychiatrist double that. (laughs) Yeah, That's how you work when you have a mental illness. If you want to do it safely, you can, if you have help and and that was my only option. If I want to have a baby, I have to meet with my psychiatrist. I have to meet with my counselor. And I did. And it, my pregnancy went great. Yeah. It really did. That's so that's so good. I mean, my experience, medication options have changed significantly in the past 20 years because my youngest obviously just got married. So a little different life stage than a lot of young moms or young couples that reach out wanting to know you know, can I safely have a baby? Can I safely be pregnant? I mean, obviously I refer people to professionals because I'm not, and you are so cute. I'm going to out you here before we were talking. (laughs) You're like, I read the book and it seemed, how do I say this nicely? Outdated. (laughs) (laughs) Like, and it's okay because it's been 20 years. Like these meds were not an option. And it, my doctor was kind of like, look, you cannot be on any meds if you're going to be pregnant. And I already had a suicide attempt under my belt at that point. I, and we knew that it would be life-threatening. And so I was just done at that point. And I I had three kids already, which, I mean, that now feels like plenty, plenty <laughs> of kids. I need no more children. <laughs> but even at the time, it was kind of hard to have the doctor be the one telling me, okay, and you're done with this. You're, this part of your life is over. You know, and, and we probably would have decided that anyway, just because I was kind of at my capacity, but it is hard to have that decision be made for you and not have the choice. Yeah. It's not really fair. And some people, you know, you have to live with that. But in my case, I knew I could, I knew I could do it with the help that I had. I had a really fantastic, or have a really fantastic counselor. She gave me these five daily things that I have to do every day. She recommends that you do something physical, something emotional, something intellectual, sexual, and connection. And so what that looks like is physical. I worked out my whole pregnancy and I work out every day because that is huge to me. (laughs) That's how I can release and, and gain what I need. Emotional. This one is the one that I lack the most. It looks like journaling. It looks like grounding. I don't know if you've done grounding yet, but I'm a big fan of that. Why don't you explain that in case some people don't know? Yeah. Grounding is it's going outside, getting that sunshine on you and being barefoot, feeling the ground underneath you and letting all of just kind of letting the earth, you and the earth becoming one in a way it kind of levels you out. So going outside, I can reflect, I can think about, okay, what's my day going to look like? What did yesterday look like? Where am I going to improve? You know, I can kind of think inside of my myself and and be quiet for a moment, which is hard to do with three kids. But I, <laughs> so I don't always do it. And I know when I do it, it makes a difference. So intellectual is reading for me. And then the sexual one's kind of awkward, but it's not necessarily what it sounds like. It's just intimacy. Like I make an effort to hold my husband's hand because that's, you know, important to me. I know that that is something 
that helps me. So we hold hands or hug or make sure that there's an effort there. And then connection is the last one. And it's a vital one. I think that might be the most important one because it gets you out of your head. You have to connect with another person. So you can reach out to a friend on the phone. You can see someone face to face, which is optimal, but you've got to make that connection. So those five things, I had to hit those every day. And, and that was my only goal besides keeping my kids alive was hitting those five things. So yeah, once I was, once she taught me that and I could really bring it home, it made a huge difference. And some days when I was really depressed, I just had two. I'm like, okay, I have to make a connection and I have to do something physical. I can't just lay on the couch all day. Like I want to some days it looks like you do too. Some days you get all five and that's the goal is get all five and you're feeling fly. (laughs) (laughs) Fly with a pH. (laughs) Those are good tips. I love your counselor. That's fabulous advice. I know she's amazing. She also convinced me to get a house cleaner. So all around. I need she's to go see your counselor. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone does, right? I have like a couple of therapy. She's like, listen, Adam, your wife needs some more Netflix time with you the dog. Run. Okay. I know there's no kids at home, but she still does want to clean. <laughs> you know, a side note though, there's, I joke about that, but I actually having an organized home and clean home is so vital to my mental health as well. And I know it is for Ella, like We've been considered neat freaks or clean freaks or, you know, always organizing closets, stuff like that. But there's something to my environment being organized that when I don't feel settled or peaceful in my head, if I at least have a peaceful environment, it's so much more conducive and I can relax a lot more. I feel like that's quite common. Yes. And so during my pregnancy, I watched the home edit and organized everything in my house. I I was in that, <laughs> what do they call it? <laughs> that phase at the end of your pregnancy where the you're nesting. nesting yeah. Mm-hmm. So I was in the nesting phase, my whole pregnancy, I was getting everything ready, everything perfect, because I knew that I'm strong right now, even though I'm pregnant. And even though I'm not my mood stabilizer, this is, this is a time that I can prepare for that baby. And so I, I had everything, you know, my bathroom drawers, you'd open it and you're like, wait, is this a movie? Because it's perfect. (laughs) I feel like you should send us a picture of your favorite cupboard or favorite drawer or something like that. About the episode, we can all look and admire beautiful, organized, peaceful space. (laughs) Well, yeah, it was very organized. My pantry was probably my favorite place. And once I had the baby, I crashed. There was no getting up. There was no that part there, I wasn't myself at all. And my house got messy after that. My mom was able to come and help me. My husband was a great help, but not a great cleaner. And right now I have to learn to let things go. I'm not as bad as I was. It's taken almost a year to feel like I can look forward to the next day and it's not work and it's not a job, but I can get up and be excited and, and love my life. And I always love my kids, but I can look forward to, to doing things with them and not just staying home or right now, my drawers are messy. My closet is not perfect. And I have to be able to give and take with that. Like 
what I can say yes to is my kids. And what I can say no to is having a clean, clean and organized at home. Yes. Yeah. I feel like that was also a huge progression for me too. Cause earlier on, it really was like, I don't know. Nobody can see my face here except for you because we're on video. (laughs) I was not okay. Like twitching when things would get out of place. It was not okay. And now I still like my home to be very organized and clean, but also if the dishes sit for a day or even two days, sometimes I also can be okay with it. So, and I didn't used to be able to do that. And I'm much more able to manage mood swings and the mental health aspect when I don't have those perfectionist expectations in all of those areas that don't need to be there. Those are extra areas, right? Even though we think they're not, they're extra areas. We don't, we don't have to put energy there. And I think another part of it is, is you look at your house, you look at your life, you look at whatever you're struggling with and, and you think this is forever. My house is always going to look this way because it's an all or nothing when you, (laughs) I don't know if other people struggle with that, but (laughs) But I'm an all or nothing person. And I have to remind myself, okay, after having, after giving birth, my body is not always going to look like this. I have to, I'm not always going to look like this. And my house is not always going to be a disaster. That that, like sticky spot in my house will not always be that sticky. I can, (laughs) I can move on. And so it's telling myself like, this is today, this is this month, but this is not forever. And that, that really helps me get out of that perfectionist state. But also if your husband or your spouse knows that this is a struggle for you, that is their way of showing love is to help you through that struggle. So my husband is, he does dishes now. That's his job. He comes home. I have the dishwasher unloaded and he loads it for me. (laughs) So that's, that's part of being in a marriage with anyone, but with someone with mental illness, that's really going to relieve a lot of anxiety and stress and worry just by doing those little things that can help them. Your husband also sounds like such a champ and an amazing partner, not like, Oh geez, hopefully you can get your stuff figured out, but genuinely, Hey, we're in this together. I love you. What can we do Mm -hmm. to alleviate this burden? And I love that. And you can't have those talks when you're in a depressed depression area, like of your life, you, you have to be open and honest always. And you have to have those conversations when you're feeling good. And this is a good time for both of us. Like, this is what really helps me. And I don't need this so much. Like you're doing a lot in this area, but I don't really need that. I need you more here and have those conversations. Don't get offended because you're a team. You're looking at your strengths and your weaknesses and And once you figure them out, then you're just going to mesh a lot better. And so for me, I have to allow him to golf like every Saturday and that's okay now because he does the dishes. So there's a (laughs) trade-off and there's there's ways that, that we can make it work. So he's a really good golfer now because he goes often. (laughs) (laughs) You know what though, just the fact too, of what you're saying, like you're putting time in here, but I'm really like, it would mean more to me over here mm-hmm. and kind of the discussion. I mean, we have this discussion all the time, but even just a few episodes ago, you know, talking about, all right, what's this deposit? What number is this a three or is this an eight? Do the eight deposit, whatever that is. And like, we can get rid of the threes and how do I give back to you a big mm-hmm. deposit? Not just like I tried to do something nice, but it wasn't that meaningful. Like that communication key that you're talking about is really important because if we don't tell each other that, then 
there's no way to make it work. You just can't waste energy without being streamlined. I feel like emotionally and as a couple, you have to be really streamlined to tackle this problem together and have a happy, successful family and relationship. So that's an excellent yeah. example. If you could go back and give yourself advice, kind of at the start of this, the beginning of your marriage or kids or pregnancy, any of that, what would that be? Oh man, if you would have known then, you know, like <laughs> I would say, don't take this all so seriously. Let yourself relax a little. None, none of your day-to-day -day things really matter. You know, like all of your to-dos I used to make, and I still do sometimes make long lists of everything I need to do down to the hour that I would have it done. And I would make sure that each thing is done. And, and then I would focus completely on that on that list and not let anything else in. And, and that's the wrong way to live. You have to take it moment by moment and enjoy those moments. And I think I spent so much time regulating my time and, and not letting any period of adjustment happen. And, and because of that, I missed out on the small moments. And I think I had to do that to cope. I had to, to regiment my time so that I could do the, just to get through to the next day, because sometimes you, you just can't function, you know, but having a list to do would get you out of bed and it would get me out of bed and get me going because I had things to do, but I, I wish that I could have found another way to cope. Like that would help me enjoy life a little bit better. Maybe I didn't need to take everything so seriously and relax a little. <laughs> what would you say if there's anything that has been good, that's come from some of these hard times for you? I think the the biggest takeaway from having to have this horrible illness <laughs> is that I'm able to help other people. Members in my family struggle and some of my friends have struggled. And how would I know how to help them if I didn't go through it too? I think this can be a blessing. Once you learn how to manage it, once you go through all those horrible times, those ups and downs, when you learn how to manage it, then you can help other people. So you can say, I don't want to do take medicine the rest of my life, but that just means you're going to struggle. That means, yeah, you can live life, but not up here. You're going to live it down real low and it's not going to be fun for you. And it's not going to be fun for the people around you. But if you take your meds every day and you work with a psychiatrist, not the most glamorous things, but if you do those things, you will be able to live in a way that you can help others. And that is the biggest thing for me is that I'm able to help my sister. I'm able to help my children who might have this too. That's my biggest thing is I can help people. You know, as I'm listening, because we've talked about this quite a bit, that sometimes these hard things can actually make you a better person than you would have been otherwise. We're always reluctant to say that sometimes because when you're in the middle of it you feel like that's the worst thing and you know yeah like i'm suicidal absolutely... about to die please don't tell me this is good for me like i can't but hear I, that right now i've seen it with mikkel that you know she's become a different deeper kind of person like a more grounded it's like it makes you take off the fluff it makes you stop being superficial and other people have the luxury of being superficial and, you know, 
running around doing all sorts of you crazy know, things. I wouldn't say that it's superficial. I think maybe it was just more achieving in different areas, like putting a lot of emphasis on accomplishing these other things or, or like school for me and degrees and work. And I don't know. I just feel like my focus was in other areas, but I don't think it was superficial. I think it was just different. I guess when I say superficial is there's certain things in life that you accomplish that are meaningful. And as you get older, you realize there are very few accomplishments, box checking that you do that you're like, I'm, I'm going to take that with me. You know, that is time well spent. That was time well spent. They're just things we're doing. And it seems like watching Mikkel, it's really made her focus on relationships over accomplishments or box checking or, or, you know, awards and achievements and, you know, external things. And I feel like to succinctly wrap it up, I used to be annoyed when people couldn't keep up with me. And (laughs) now I'm like, oh, it's because I'm going too fast here. What can I do to make it easier? I didn't used to think that. That that definitely has been an evolution from the beginning of our experience to where we are now. Well, and the other thing, you know, I think that, you know, marriages can't be better when you have to work through hard things. And it's a hard thing. And some, I, it's one of those things that you, there's no middle ground with mental illness. You're either going to grow or, you know, it's going to go a different direction. Crash and burn. But if you've got two people that are committed and are trying and you figure it out, the bonds just get deeper and stronger. So there can be a benefit that way too. And hopefully that's in your marriage as well. Yeah. Just back to that honesty thing, you first have to be honest with yourself. You have to realize that, yeah, there's a problem and I need help. And you have to get that help, but be honest throughout that whole process with yourself. And then you're able to be honest with somebody else. Once you figure yourself out in a, a little bit, you know, you can share that with somebody else. And if they're willing to work with you, you know, keep that person. But if not with a friend, with a spouse, you know, I mean, with a potential spouse, you don't need somebody in your life. That's not going to be a cheerleader for you. You might have those people, but they don't need to know everything about you. They don't need, like, if that's a a cousin or a sibling or someone that isn't supporting or serving you in a way that you need, just focus on the relationships that are and let those build you and, and strengthen you. And with my spouse, I was able to find somebody that really cared enough to, to work with me and, and I work with him and his weaknesses. And then we've just become stronger and stronger. I mean, now we're the best couple in the world. So no, (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's not a competition. If it were, we would totally win. No, he would not. By the way, what's your husband's name? His name is Sean. He's awesome. He's, he sounds awesome. I know. Yeah. He's, What's his thing is basketball doesn't, doesn't build character. It shows your character and he's on the basketball court. He's just the best. He's so good. And my best friend, Larissa, her dad, I was, I was kind of between which guy am I going to go for? I have Sean and I have this other guy and which one is it going to be? And he said, well, which one plays basketball better? It was Sean. So. That's how we went. That's how we won. <laughs> Problem solved. Yeah. Nice, Larissa's dad. That was solid advice. Yeah, it was. <laughs> this has been so fun to talk to you. I love hearing how much great advice you have and how many wonderful life lessons you have already figured out at this stage. And I just, 
Like you've been so smart and you've also, it's very apparent you've put so much time and effort into working very hard at this too. And so shout out to that. Like, I don't know if you, you know, recognize how amazing and tremendous it is that you've done that, but, but shout out to you for all that you've done to manage this. Well done. It is a lot of work. (laughs) (laughs) It is, but it's obvious you've put that work in. So good job, Kelsey. Thank you. Thank you. Because of your help, I could see, you know, I could read your book and I could see, okay, this is someone who struggles with the same things I struggle with. And I can, you were, you were like my Bible for so long. When I got diagnosed, I was lucky to get your book into my hands, like right away. And, and I was able to just read and know somebody who went through it, you know, like I'm not alone. And, and I was so grateful for that book. And then you came out with a podcast and I could just like, hear your voice now and that's right I'm really excited to have this episode published it's actually super fun because when you first reached out I think it was something just it was something really cute it was just like what music were you listening to because I was always oh, talking yeah. about songs on repeat that I listened to <laughs> it was just this cute message so we've just had some fun messages back and forth over over a few things I went back and looked the song that I recommended was girlfriends up all night did you listen to that Oh yeah. So many times. I'm so happy you came on. Thank you so much. Thank you. This was good for me. Good. You also said in the beginning, before we started that you have the, you could do the intro or outro of the podcast because you have it memorized. So we're going to let you take it away and close out the podcast for us. Kelsey. Super fan right here. Okay. (laughs) Thank you for joining us. If you like this podcast, rate it, share it. And I have rated it, by the way, and left a review, and I have shared it with so many people. So good job. Good job, Kelsey. If you have topics that you'd like to see covered, you can submit them on Instagram at Thriving with Mental Illness. Remember, there are no topics that are off limits and no questions that aren't okay to ask. We will see you next time. See you next time.